Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. Primitive. Today we have a voice that comes to us from Oakland, California. It's Lenore Norgard. She was born in Iowa during the civil rights movement to a painter and a talented storyteller and grew up in a mixed race family. She graduated from high school at 16 and moved to the West Coast alone on a Greyhound bus at 17. She's been a social activist from 1972 to the present, focusing on peacemaking, healing racism, sexism, heterosexism, and violence. She's a photojournalist and a contributing writer, a designer, and copy editor for newspapers, magazine, and Reuters news agency. She was spontaneously initiated into shamanism in 1987 and has served as a shamanic healer, teacher, and consultant from 1992 to the present. But I want to concentrate mostly on the fact that Lenore has a Kickstarter project up online right now which will be running until the amazing date of 12-12-12. And it's a project that presents her film project called American Ubuntu. She is now producing this film and looking for support for the development of the film. So, Lenore, would you tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to writing this script? Sure. Yeah, the the screenplay really grows out of my whole life. Uh, Everything from the theme of race that started for me as a young child in a family that was of mixed race up through my activist days, which continue till now in a different form today, through my work as a shamanic healer and combining shamanism with activism, and my work in the media. I've been working in filmmaking for the last 14 years. So the story really grows out of all this life experience, Generally, and I can say that the, that the specific impulse for the story came out of September 11th. So just prior to September 11th, I'd kind of gotten marching orders from my spirit allies. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, was, I had studied film and enjoyed it very much, but was settling back into focusing on my shamanic practice and serving clients. And my spirits told me in no uncertain terms that I really needed to shift to a focus in film 
and to bring healing on a social level through the medium of film, that I would be able to reach many, many, many more people than I could reach through my classes and workshops and individual work with clients. So actually, on the day of September 11th, I was moving back to San Francisco, which is kind of my filmmaking home, and I had stayed the night in Wairika, which is about a halfway point from Seattle, where Mm -hmm. I was moving from, back to San Francisco, which is in the foothills of Mount Shasta, which many of you may know is a sacred mountain in North America. And so it was that morning of September 11th, I woke in the sacred landscape to this news and continued my drive through the sacred landscape, hearing all the saber rattling on the AM radio in reaction to what had happened on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And uncertain whether I would be able to get home. Some of the talk on the radio was saying the bridges would be closed. People were afraid they would be uh, blown up. turned out I did get home. And for the next few days, like most people in the country, I felt very, very quiet and stayed home a lot. And I asked myself, how do I respond to these tragedies and these events as an artist, as a healer, and as a radical social activist? And I just kept meditating on that question. And as I did, I started getting these characters coming to me who are today in the finished script and also parts of their situations. That has stayed consistent through all the different versions of the script, of which there are many. I I took about six years to write the script and worked with um, a script coach and script doctor who has worked with Academy Award-winning scripts on refining the story and making it really, really strong. So, But that core of the story has remained, these particular characters and their particular situations. So um, I, I saw that you spoke about uh, healing trauma on a molecular level. So here we would be talking about healing the trauma of America on a molecular level through film. Right. Right. I, I, the thing that's interesting to me when I was, I've always loved film, and I put, I didn't really occur to me till I was in my 40s to actually consider making film. Um, but I'd always known that film had a tremendously powerful effect. You know, the, the stronger the film, the more powerful the effect, and that sometimes I would come out of a, a cinema really in an altered state and really my psyche very much engaged with what I'd just seen on the screen. And as I studied more about film, you know, film comes out of theater, and theater grew out of ritual. And so these are very, very powerful forms. And as I studied film, I was really humbled. I was like, oh, my God, I have a huge responsibility as a filmmaker as to what I put on the screen. Because when people go through a film that's strong, it deeply, deeply affects their thought forms and how they view the world. And so this story, American Ubuntu, takes on some of the core traumas in the United States. And as the viewer goes through the story with the characters, we're taking on a kind of journey 
uh, of transformation, of facing our past as a country and healing it so that we can shift our trajectory as a people. I've, I've, I've actually, in the last day, started talking about, I'm sure you're familiar with the Many peoples, many indigenous peoples are saying that the problem on the planet is that a large number of people are dreaming the wrong dream. Yes. And that what we need to do is we need to change the dream. And so I've been thinking about how this film is about changing the American dream. Fabulous. And bring the American dream into something that's sustainable for all people, for all our relations, and for the planet. Okay, so this is very crucial. This is why we want to invite people with all our hearts, you and I, and all the Ubuntu Village supporters, to fund this project because we need new stories. We need new dreaming. You know, even the scientists will tell you that that people think in stories. It's, 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 I think it's hardwired in humans. We think in stories. Yes, yes. How do things happen and how do they unfold? And, and when the indigenous people say that we are dreaming the wrong dream, we can say we are telling the wrong stories. Yes. You know, we're telling stories of death and destruction and imminent demise and, and, and rape of the earth. You know, mm-hmm. These are the kind of stories, commodification. Yes. These are the stories we grow up with. Yes, yes. And, and they're deep in our psyches. And, and I think the indigenous people are totally on the, on the mark. You know, we have to change our dream, and that means we have to change our stories. As you say, we desperately, yes. desperately need new stories. Because uh, you say somewhere around... Other people say so as well. We are dreaming, we are telling the story of a collective march towards death. Yes, and Sarah Morgan said that in her endorsement of the film. She's a local activist here in Oakland, very, very active in Occupy Oakland, and a midwife and a, a, a supreme advocate of children and of mothers. And she has read the script and participated in a table read here in Oakland. And I was very, extremely honored by her endorsement, where she she's the one who says that phrase, that, yeah. you know, we are on a collective march towards death, and that this film is, pre, is offering an alternative, an alternative vision of how we, need, how we can shift and heal ourselves and move in a different direction. You are presenting a healing story for the USA. And in can you give us, I know you don't want to give away the script, but can you give us a little bit of a view of how, what about the story is healing? Yes, I can do that. Okay. I, well, what I'll say is that uh, the protagonist is a middle-aged white man who is an Army veteran, when he retired from the Army, he was recruited by the FBI to the Joint Terrorism Task Force. And he, as on a personal level, is deeply haunted by the disastrous end of his greatest love affair, which happened way back when he was in high school, 
with a classmate who was black in a small town in Kentucky in the 1970s. So this is haunting him, and he decides to do something about it. He decides that he is going to find her and somehow make things up to her. And so in the back of his mind, he has a fantasy of getting back together with her even. And so he goes to her high school reunion, her 25th high school reunion, to find her, and there he finds out that she's dead. And so he can't make things up to her and let alone get back together with her. So it's a real punch in the gut for him because, as I say, he's been haunted for 30 years by how badly things ended. And at the same time, he finds out that she has left an adult daughter and that he must be her father. And so (laughs) it's kind of a triple whammy for him. He can't make things up to her. He can't get back together with her. And now, to make things even more exacerbated, he finds out he has an adult daughter who he hasn't been present for and who knows what she knows about him or thinks about him. And so that's the beginning of the story. And it's this character's drive to somehow make things right that propels him forward through the story. The other key characters are uh, the daughter who we meet, and she has grown up in the visionary community called Ubuntu. Now, let's mention that Ubuntu is a Zulu word, and the word means because we are, I am. Because we are, I am. So it's an indigenous expression of how we are all interconnected and and how we our, our best interest lies in the interests of the collective. And so she's grown up in this environment, and she's been raised by her stepfather, who her mother married when she was a little girl, so that when her mother died, this man cared for her and still cares for her. And he was a Black Panther back in the day. So this community of Ubuntu was founded by social visionaries. And they don't use money. They are uh, very much close with the earth. They're a subsistence economy. They grow most of their own food. You know, they, they do a certain amount of outreach in the community to raise cash and to raise consciousness. And so... The stepfather is the third main character. So the two fathers and the daughter are the key characters in the story. And so you have the stepfather and the daughter in this visionary community, and then you have the birth father actually working for the FBI and not knowing he had a daughter until the opening of the story. So while the birth father is driven to rectify his past, the daughter is driven to give birth to a new world. The daughter has been trained by the Ubuntu shaman to become the next spiritual leader of the community and carries the older shaman's deep connection with the earth. But she is driven by her conflicts with both her fathers ultimately to dissolve the mistakes of past generations and give birth to a new paradigm, which includes sharing spiritual leadership with others. So near the beginning of the story, September 11th takes place, and each character has a very different response to the tragedies. These different responses bring them into contact and onto a collision course with one another. 
The daughter wants to give refuge to innocent Muslims being attacked on the street in Washington. The stepfather is a fierce guardian of the rural Ubuntu community and doesn't want to put it at risk by housing potential suspects. The birth father, working for the FBI, is responsible for finding possible suspects. And I should mention that the mother, who ties these three characters together, from the ancestral realm, the mother has a hand in each of their lives and the unfolding of this story and ultimately makes the healing possible. So the two fathers actually share a worldview, whereas the daughter, allied with her mother in the ancestral realm, brings about the paradigm shift for everyone. I think that one of the one of the powerful things about the story and why I see it as ritual is that each of these characters can be seen to represent many on many different levels. I think we each have these aspects to our own internal psyches uh, living in this culture. I think that there's a level of the interpersonal drama of these very flesh and blood characters. It's one of the very high compliments I've received repeatedly on the screenplay. Mm -hmm. It's how real the characters are, how realistically they're drawn, and also um, how they affect one another. One person said, you know, in most films, we don't really see the characters affect one another, but in this film, we see the characters transform one another and how crucial their relationships are in that transformation. So another level that the film works on is allegorical, which I didn't realize until after the script was completed, but you can, we can also see um, the birth father representing kind of the dominant culture in the U.S., and those dominant powers, and, and not only in the U.S., but globally because of the position the U.S. has globally in, in dominance. And we can see the other two characters as um, other parts of the U.S. in terms of uh, the different populations we have here. And also we can look at that globally, again, in terms of the U.S. and the other populations on the planet. And... So what I'm positing is that one of the that the, that the film seeds uh, the possibilities for transformation on a few levels. You know, one is individually for each of us to see that we can take responsibility for our for our past. You know, if there are things that we need to heal in our past in our relations with others, we can do that. Mm-hmm. I think often people feel so much shame about what they may have done to injure others in the past that they just don't look at it and just try to go keep going forward. And certainly this is part of our culture in the U.S. that grows out of the um, original colonization of this land. Mm-hmm. You know, people, for a lot of different reasons, coming here from Europe, um, some came here to make money, but many were shipped here uh, without a choice or whether because they came out of uh, penal penal prisons, what do you call that, penal institutions, yes. you know, or whether they were starving in Europe or whether their parents sent them or whatnot. A lot of people came from Europe here out of crisis and brought that trauma of crisis from Europe, from the Industrial Revolution, and people being torn from the land in Europe through that and being torn away from the land of their ancestors 
and coming here. So people came here bringing a lot of trauma from the old country, not to mention all the trauma of the people shipped here from and sold from Africa, the indigenous people here who were decimated by the colonization, and on and on. We, we, this country, I think of this country was founded in trauma, and that we still carry that in our collective national psyche. And, and so, again, we don't want to look back, you know. Mm-hmm. On the whole, the American way is to uh, look towards the new and the better with this idea of progress. And so the problem is, of course, one of many problems is that we keep repeating the traumas of the past. Just as an individual will do that with repressed memories, they will tend to repeat the trauma they suffered, either as becoming a victim again or becoming a perpetrator. Right. Trying to bring that into consciousness, I see us doing that as a nation. You know, keep perpetrating wars of colonization and theft and genocide, um, for, just for one example or keep, keep perpetrating rape of the earth, you know, that happened so much during colonization. That was, a, you know, that was perpetrated across the continent, you know, clear-cutting and, uh, you know, tearing up the prairie grasses. Um, all these things that, that transpired continue to transpire. And so I think one of the important, very, very key dynamics in this story, why I call it a healing story, is we see this character who is haunted by his past and is, 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 and, and is so compelled to do something about it. And in the course of the story, he gives and receives healing mm-hmm. because he, precisely because he takes responsibility and wants to make things right. So I think that's very, very important for Americans that we understand that we can face our past, we can take responsibility for it, both on a personal level and on a collective level. And by doing that, we can heal and we can shift our direction as a people and come into harmony with one another and also with the community of nations and with the earth itself. Mm-hmm. And what a great moment, because uh, there is a um, there is a a mixed race president in the White House, and so even more than ever before, uh, we need to face our multiculturalism and our multi race in this country. And I think to do that, I think, from my perspective as an activist going back to the 1970s, you know, in the 1970s, there was this huge upsurge of, you know, first, earlier there was the Civil Rights Movement, and out of the Civil Rights Movement, many, many mass movements for um, social change came. You know, there was the Women's Movement, there was the Latino Movement, there was Asian American Movement, there was uh, Gay and Lesbian uh, sexual liberation movement and civil rights movement. So my, a lot was happening then, and a lot of those movements were looking at history and were bringing up history and saying, look what happened in the past, look what happened. And there was starting to be some consciousness raising around our history. But 
then there was the reaction against that, and it was like the lid just got slapped on that kettle. <laughs> you know, we are not going to look at that stuff. We're going to revert to, um, you know, this mythology of the intrepid uh, European pioneer coming and building America. And, of course, that's usually seen as this white male uh-huh. pioneer who built America and negating all that had come up during the 70s of looking at how, you know, how Chinese laborers were bought to, brought here to build the railroads and many of them gave their lives because it was very dangerous work. You know, or looking at the history of, of slavery and, you know, refinding roots in Africa and, and the rise of La Raza and, and the women's movement. But then there was this huge reaction. And so it's interesting because um, I've studied a lot about trauma and the healing of trauma and how it manifests. And uh, there's a book called Trauma and Recovery mm-hmm. that's a classic in the field from the psychological perspective. And she talks about how this, this is often what happens. There's this, there's this pattern that happens, and we can look at it individually, and we can look at it in the collective where, you know, a memory of trauma will start to come up, but if there's not support and healing for it, it will get repressed again. Yes. So this is what I've seen playing out socially in the United States, and we just see the deleterious effects of that, not only here, and but abroad and for the earth. And so I think it's really crucial that we be able to find ways to um, face our past so that we can heal it. It's not about facing it so we can suffer more. It's about facing it so that we can come into a collective where we heal it and really come into this Ubuntu relationship with one another instead of being in competition and having the 99% and the 1% and, you know, all these situations where there's one group lording it over the rest, that we realize that, no, we really have to come into the collective and have this consciousness, uh, you know, with one another, with other nations, and with the earth. So, yes, I agree. This is the time for this story, you know, everything from our president in the White House to the Keystone Pipeline. You know, we need to be able to finally see that it's possible to heal the past and change our direction. So, uh, Lenore, um, what do you uh, see is the impact of the 60s and 70s on uh, our our lives and situation today? Well, I think that um, I'm having a lot of thoughts spinning off <laughs> hearing that question. Yeah. Um, I think that those days set a certain uh, consciousness in the population. Like I say, I think it got repressed somewhat, and I think we're seeing it come up again. I think that... Um, with the with the Occupy movement, for example, not limited to that, but the Occupy slash decolonize, as we call it here in Oakland and some other parts of the of the uh, country, because we're we're aware that <laughs> this land isn't that colonized. You know, it's not so simple to say Occupy here. Um, so I think that the the consciousness you know, and the knowledge that came out in the 60s and the 70s, I think some of that is being resurrected. 
I think also one thing that's very interesting is that, um, I don't know if you remember, in the 1980s they called it the me generation. Yes. Or, or the me decade. And they were contrasting that to the 60s and 70s that had been more about this collective. And so there was a certain denigration even in that period. Oh, you know, everybody's just about their own self. And I know that there there was that, but I think something else was also going on that's very critical and crucial to where we are today, which is that a lot of people got involved in different kinds of self-healing during that era of the 80s and 90s. And that could be people going to 12-step groups and coming to terms with their various addictions, mm-hmm. people uh, going into psychotherapy, people finding spiritual tools and some of that actually came out of the recovery movement, you know, as people were trying to um, heal their addictions and realize that, that, that those addictions had a spiritual base and looking for spiritual tools to heal themselves. So one thing that I'm very, very encouraged by is that my experience of the um, social movements, I'll say in the last 10 years or so, particularly beginning with the... Uh, current peace movement, you know, with the advent of these new wars that started more than 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. I saw a different quality happening in, the, in, in those movements. I found a much higher spiritual awareness of participants. Um, I think that there's a, a wider embrace of uh, Gandhian and Kingian approaches to social change. I think there's a much broader uh, internalization that um, fighting begets fighting and how do we find another way to shift social consciousness and make the social change that we need. So I'm very encouraged by that. Um, that (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's uh, switch a little bit here and uh, tell us about your adventure with Kickstarter. (laughs) And how it feels, and where you are, and what do you need? That's a really great word for it, Joanna, the adventure of Kickstarter. It's so true, and it's a spiritual journey in itself. (laughs) Um, We are, right now, we have raised uh, about $8,200 in pledges last I checked this morning. Our goal is $30,000. That's our goal. Um, I set that goal with an eye to hopefully raising more than that. However, at this point, we need to raise about $22,000 more in the next eight days. We have just about exactly eight days because the campaign actually ends at noon on 12-12-12. So it's 12 on 12-12-12. Yes, yes. So we have eight days because today is we're recording this on uh, Tuesday at right about yeah uh, I'm talking Pacific time I mean yes yes that noon at Pacific time on right. the 12th. Uh, we have this much time to raise twenty two thousand dollars more in pledges and it's really really crucial I know you know Joanna from your own Kickstarter yes. campaign that if you don't raise the full goal then you receive nothing so we must raise $22,000 in the next eight days to receive any funds at all. And these funds are really crucial at this point because we're 
towards the end of what's called the development stage, and this is the most difficult stage of making a film. It's the, it's the period... So we have the script, and the script's gotten very high praise. So, of course, in films, scripts are tweaked and rewritten as they're in production. That's part of the process. Uh, but I'm saying that the script is very strong, and, it, and, and it's really resonating very strongly with people. So I'm saying that part of the development process is complete. What we need to do now is to have a professional producer commit to the project and take it forward. We need to get initial investors for the actual production funds and to attach uh, one or more key talents to the film, such as a key actor or actress. And so these funds are really, really crucial to complete this phase of development so that the film can move ahead. As I say, this is the most difficult phase, and so these funds are really crucial in this film actually getting made. So I want to go back to the idea of participating in creating another dream. What can you say, what more can you say about that? I had a very interesting conversation with Van Jones about quite a long time ago. It was probably about eight years ago. And for people who don't know Van Jones, he is uh, from here in the Bay Area. He founded the Ella Baker Center for Civil Rights. He's an attorney. He's an African-American man who also has uh, written for Yes! magazine he was appointed by the Obama, Obama administration uh, to be part of the greening of America, green jobs. He wrote a book about the green-collar economy. Uh, anyway, I spoke with Van Jones many, many years ago. Uh, he had an interest in shamanism and called me, and we had lunch, and I told him about this story I was writing. I told him about this community of Ubuntu and how people live there. As I say, they don't use money. They uh, are somewhat of a subsistence uh, economy in the community of Ubuntu, but they're very happy. They have plenty. They have plenty to eat. They have great company. They really emphasize relationships. And, you know, they live well, but they live simply. And that the idea was, the part of their idea in creating this community was to be able to inspire other Americans that Americans can be happy living sustainably. And so when I was telling Van about this and that the drama in the story takes place largely inside this community, he said, oh, that's really brilliant. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he said, well, remember the TV show Dallas? Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I never really, I think I watched it once. He said, yeah, but remember how everybody talked about it all the time? I said, oh, yeah, I remember going to work, and everybody's talking about who shot JR, and everybody would talk about it all the time. And I was out of the loop because I didn't watch TV. But he said, well, if you think about it, that TV program, Dallas, did a huge, had a huge influence on the U.S. psyche because people were watching that TV show week in and week out, and everybody talked about it. And he said people were engaged in the story because of the drama among the characters. And people were, you know, just caught up in that drama among these people. He said, but what happened was the story took place against the backdrop of this very cutthroat uh, oil industry. 
Mm-hmm. And so while people were swept up in the interpersonal drama, they were swallowing these corporate cutthroat values uncritically. Yes. Along with the drama. And he said, you are doing the opposite. You are creating this compelling human drama against the backdrop of communalism and of connection with the earth and of um, Ubuntu, you know, of inclusion and, and, and a deep understanding of that. That's the given in your script. And so people will watch this and become engaged because of this very compelling uh, family and political drama among the characters, but they will take in these values of community, you know, of Ubuntu as they watch it. Mm-hmm. And so that's always stayed with me for years and years and years. That made such an impression on me what he said. And in fact, my dream once the film is made is to do a TV series with these characters and this community because there's so much that can be mined here. There's so many themes that are touched on in the movie that could be engaged in an ongoing level and to be able to engage an audience on a weekly basis around these themes. And to get people talking at work about, well, what's Krupp's going to do? And what about Addisimba? <laughs> you know, what are the mm-hmm. shamans going to do about that? You know, to have people engaged in that dialogue would be very, very powerful. So that's actually my long-range goal once the film is made. Uh, sounds like a series for OWN. The, yeah. the, the television station, Oprah's television station. I wanted to say that uh, Van Jones, uh, you don't watch television, but Van Jones is now a um, a correspondent for CNN. Oh, he is. Oh, yeah, and he's on CNN a lot, and he was on CNN uh, 24, well, like, seemed like 24 hours a day through the election. Yes, I, I know he was doing a lot of commentary during the election. But I didn't realize he was a regular correspondent. That's great news. So the time, uh, the time for American Ubuntu is very poignant right now. Yes. I would say that it has caught up to itself. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that also, I, I want to mention back on the Kickstarter, yes. you want to see this for, the, for our listeners, that in order for us to raise $22,000 in eight days, it means we either need to find um, 22,000 people to give $1. <laughs> yes. It's going to be really hard to get that, reach that many people that quickly. Um, I think that we really need to have at least a few angel backers at this point, you know, people who can give in the thousands and who really are caught by this vision for a new world and the power that film can have to create that by telling new stories and seeding these ideas in the audience. Because I really, really believe, because of the diversity of characters in the story and how each is honored, you know, each, no, but each is given their humanity. And so people from many, many different perspectives can come into this story and engage it and be transformed by it. So I really believe if the film is properly marketed, which is part of what I'm, I'm, I'm working on now, that it can reach a very wide audience and reach many, many, many people. 
So, again, these seed funds right now are really crucial. And if there are individuals who are hearing this who either have or know people who have the kind of resources who can pledge in the thousands, please, please, please contact me or get them to the Kickstarter. Um, and that doesn't mean that I don't want everybody's donation, whether you can give a dollar or $10,000, it all helps. Again, because Kickstarter also, the number of backers is another important thing. So it's not just about how many dollars you raise, but how many people are involved in the Kickstarter campaign. So please don't take my plea for angel backers as anything regarding people donating $100 or $25 or $5. You know, whatever people can do is, is very much needed. But I do feel in order to succeed in raising the remaining 22000 we will need some people uh, who can give more. And that's very much in the spirit of Ubuntu. You know, I, I included in my campaign a range of pledges from $1 to $10,000 because we need everybody. We need everybody at the table here. So... Well, I just wanted to say that we at Future Primitive have contributed $15. So we want to call in a lot of people to do at least do that. Thank you. I really appreciate your support very, very much. Yes, uh, I can feel you that you do. So um, we just hope that we can uh, help people dream together the dream that will, one of the dreams that will change the American dream. So, Lenore, is there anything you'd like to say in closing to the people who listen to us? I would like to thank everyone who listens to this podcast for everything that you're doing to bring healing to our earth. I'm sure that anyone who's listening to this podcast is doing something in your life. And... I really believe it's through this spirit of Ubuntu, of really all of us understanding on a cellular level that we're interconnected, that we need one another, and that we are only because of the collective. That is what makes each of us possible. Um, I just thank everyone, everyone, whatever you are doing to bring healing to the earth. I thank Joanna. Jose. Good. Wonderful. 